Well, hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva Reddy. This is Stephen Robles, and this is part three of our part episode. Three. We ain't never done a part three before. This right? is never done a part three, uh, but this is good. I hope you enjoyed the past couple episodes. We're talking about the uh, the Mountain Prophet. That's right. Who we've been up here talking to, and uh, so what are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to jump into just one of the major themes that that came across when we were talking yesterday. Um, that that I'm I've been kind of weighing out before I, before I jump into that too. I just want to remind our readers to check out MP, impact360.org when you get a chance. Um, amazing materials on there. So many things. They got articles, videos, courses. Some of our favorite courses we've told you guys about before. Everything from the resurrection to what is truth to worldview. Um, and they even get into um, culture and like how to impact culture. They do a lot of studies. They've, In fact, they partnered with Barna to do this massive study on Gen Z. I don't know if you've right. seen that. Yes, statement, I have. But, it's good. Um, it's it's really unique. Uh, I think it was the first major Barna study. And, and for whatever reason, they picked impact 360 to co-sponsor it or be with them in that right. endeavor. So I've got some incredible material on there about how to reach this kind of like technologically native group of, yeah, of young sure. people that are coming up with just, they're exposed to so many different things. It's, it's really a different world in a lot of ways. And, and right kind of helping us do the missionary work you know like when you go to japan yeah, you don't sure. just walk over there and say hey i'm from the county uh, <laughs> I hope not. jesus loves me this i know uh, right. but you know you got to learn wow. a little bit about the culture and you know exactly. build a bridge right. and help them understand and, and there's that reality involved with gen z so right. i just want to highlight that course today it'd be worth especially if you're in youth ministry and oh, word, church yes. ministry in general if you have kids man it would be really worth your time so but yeah back to today we we talked a little bit in the last episode about testing prophecies. And so of course, how do you test it? Well, you got to see how does it compare to the Bible? Um, what does it say? Is it, is it specific? And then how, you know, if it passes the biblical test, like it fits in biblical theology, then I have to ask other questions. I have to pray about it as well. Like, is this something you're saying, God, is this, how does this impact? And, um, and then sometimes you just have to simply wait and see, and see. or pass. sometimes like, I mean, there are cases when someone prophesies something so specific uh, that they would not know. And I remember a time I had in youth group where somebody came up to me and I was wrestling with this one specific thing. And mm. I had a quick, quick story. I think I told this before on another podcast, but it was that time I had uh, kind of chickened out when I was supposed to go up and pray. Right. right. And then this, this, like a year later, this guy never knew it. A youth camp was like, Hey man, I feel like you've been disciplined, but God, you lacked a spiritual backbone. And I, and I had just been praying for that, like literally seconds before this random guy walked up to me, like, God, I need courage. Right. I was still feeling really bad about that. And I still knew inside that I didn't have the courage to face my peers in high school and to really like tell them that I was a follower of Jesus and right. I was a Christian and this kind of thing. And I was a youth group leader and all that, but I just <laughs> didn't have courage. And he, yeah. and he walked up and said, spiritual backbone. He said, God's going to give you a spiritual backbone this year. So that was a prophecy that in that case, it fit biblical pattern. You know, it's the kind of right. thing that Yahweh would do is, you know, he'd sure. You see the pattern in Acts where the apostles pray for boldness and God gives it to them. So there was no no question mark there. Mm -hmm. The question was, was this for me? Well, I think what let me know that it was, it was so specific and it was so timely that I received that as, okay, this this to me at least seems like a prophecy from God and I'm going right. to kind of lean into that. 
and I did lean into it. And I remember the next year I ended up getting to share Christ through the whole high school. I sang a song at my, at my school with almost no Christians in the whole school that I went to at the time. And I, and I preached the gospel message and sang this song. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought immediately back to that case where that prophecy had actually come to pass and it was specific and it was for me, Mm. but it wasn't for me. It was for the kingdom. Mm, Right. And, um, so anyways, that's, that's an example. But one of the things, Nerva, you, you could speak in this too, but we've been, we started hearing this theme about maybe six months ago, just about God. Um, it's, it's even hard to explain, but it's, it's the idea that, that God wants to impact nations and the idea that, you know, he's not, he's not simply like, I mean, it's always a huge part of the gospel. The individual souls will come into the kingdom and that you go to heaven when you die. You know, sometimes when it gets reduced to that, that that's everything. It's sometimes called Mm -hmm. barcode Christianity. And it is an essential part of the gospel, like the atonement, the sacrificial atonement where Jesus paid the price for us and his righteousness is imputed to us when we believe. And and so we are forgiven and reconciled to God. That's, that's there all day. Mm -hmm. But there's this, there's this, there's this scriptural thing where Jesus and the apostles often talked about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And it was much Mm -hmm. broader than that, even though it included that. But to be honest, I hadn't thought much about this nations thing. And so I started hearing this from different people like God is, He's he's wanting the nations, and and some of them would appeal to like Matthew twenty five and say he would separate them as sheep and goats, which is typically a chapter I took to be as individuals who, if they gave to it says if you you know you looked out for the you gave me food while I was hungry you clothed me when I was naked and you did this and that mm-hmm. and um, therefore you know come into my presence you who didn't you go off into you know e- eternal condemnation or whatever. But the the interesting thing about that chapter is he's actually addressing nations. Right. And so it's kind of a it's kind of a weird passage, but I kept hearing this passage and then the the great commission of uh therefore yeah. um go and make disciple. He said I've been given all authority right. over heaven and earth. Right. Which is interesting. And he says therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Right. And there's really this corporate aspect that I had never thought about. I've always tended to just think about, you know, go out, get people to come to your church, get them saved, like get them locked into church and let's all kind of be this happy community outside of society. But right. you don't really think about going out and discipling ethnic groups, discipling nations and impacting like global movements. Like what does that even mean? So I've been, we've been hearing that a lot lately. And, and so going with the testing idea, I've been asking, I've been praying and study and saying, where does this have a firm biblical foundation? Right. You know, I, I want to ask that question. And to be completely honest, I'm still on the front end of the study. So I'm just, we're just bringing right. our, bringing our friends, our free mind listeners along with us in the study. I do think there's some stuff to it though. And as I've been diving into it, I've discovered many theological elements that I think often get left out of the evangelical circles. And so, so I want to pause and say, hold on with the, with the nation's thing. We're going to come back to that when I, I think we sure. will work it out <laughs> maybe a year from now. Yeah. But in, in, in that I've been studying uh, eschatology and the, what's called the cultural mandate. Hmm. And um, I was just listening to a message 
by uh, Vody Bauckham today. And, you know, he's a super sound biblical uh, preacher, exegete. And he said that the cultural mandate is to the Old Testament what the Great Commission is to the New Testament. Hmm. And Say that again? Yep. The cultural mandate is to the Old Testament what the Great Commission is to the New Testament. And the I don't I don't want to read through it all because we're trying to keep the podcast short. Hey, <laughs> um, but Genesis one twenty eight through two seventeen. If you get a chance, listeners, just just read through that. But I will highlight a portion here where it's after God created humanity in the six day creation account. It says God blessed them and God said to them, "Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it." And He says, "Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the air." and every uh, birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I've given every green, green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw that all that he had made and it was good. Even the morning came the sixth day, Seventh day, he rests. Then it, it circles back to that creation account of man in, in, the, right. in the Genesis 2. I mean, some people take it to be separate creation accounts, but the most common is that it's a, it's kind of a back. It rewinds and zooms in, and it really displays um, how God creates man and woman. He gives them vocation even before the fall. He gives them work, hmm. and he actually tells them to name the animals, which required, you know, in the Hebrew idea of name, it wasn't just you know, here's a name that sounds cool, you know, Sandrine <laughs> right. or, you know, whatever. It's it's actually like they would look at the characteristics of the thing mm. and give it a name based on the description. So in essence, he was giving them the first command to be scientists, to classify, to give taxonomy mm. to these animals. Um, but the cultural mandate is basically described as what humans do with creation, like what God has given us to cultivate um, the creation. And some people have said, you know, God gives us grain and human beings are the only creation that have the ability to take that grain and make bread. Mm. Um, but we also, it expresses itself in art. Um, we take these, you know, primary resources and we arrange it. And, and, um, in this message, I'm, I didn't, I had listened to it a while back, so I'm going back in my memory here, but I would encourage you to listen to it. We'll, we'll yeah. link to it. But part of that cultural mandate is culture itself mm. and the expression of the moral life in a culture, the expression of family in a culture. So how mm. the human being cultivates every area of life. And part of redemption, Christian redemption, was to say that God came to redeem all of that. And what Vody says, and many other theologians say, is the cultural mandate didn't end in the New Testament. It's redeemed. And so God actually, he created, and I think, I don't know if we mentioned this before. Some people call it the seven spheres. Some people call it seven, seven mountains, mountains, whatever, right. you know, different ways of cashing it out. But these are basically this, you could, you could make eight, you could make six, but for whatever reason, seven kind of catches most of them. But these are the seven areas or institutions that actually shape a culture. And the, they are basically uh, the church, family, um, 
education, if you guys remember any of I'm forgetting, you could, um, government, arts and entertainment, media news. Yeah. The media news and business business. And basically what is, what has happened? Like the cultural mandate used to be part and parcel of most of Christian history. When the, the gospel got reduced to, to sort of barcode Christianity, when it just became about justification by itself and like different techniques of getting people um, saved, quote unquote, we basically lost our vision of the cultural mandate mm. and we lost sight of the fact that we are supposed to impact culture and that we are actually supposed to have a biblical effect on government. Um, and this is part of what Vody talks about. It's part of what many theologians just, they, they cash out the history of that, how in modern evangelical circles, we have abdicated these mountains or these spheres. We have withdrawn from education and basically we've only withdrawn to the church mountain and tried to sure. keep family, but even yeah. that's fallen apart because oh we've let the masses be indoctrinated by, by a mm. culture mm. where we have ceased to be salt and light. Mm. So now our families are actually indoctrinated and formed in light of that. So in other words, wow. now our kids grow up uh, basically sitting at the feet of Hollywood and Disney Channel mm. and all these ungodly kind of secular Education, ideas, so yeah. much so that even we've lost the family mountain. Wow. And now it's even coming into crushing on the church because right. we tried like Ooh, it's preach. like our last bastion. Yeah. Wow. And we're trying to hold it with everything we can. Wow. But now what do you do when people only come to church once a week, but they're indoctrinated by these other six mountains every, you know, 24 wow. or six Ouch. of the rest of the week. Ouch. You basically have an anemic uh, church that doesn't have an impact on culture. And I recently heard the statement that culture is the church's report card. Right. And if that's the case, then in America, we're probably getting an F or a D minus right now. Right. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I say all that to say, what does this mean for nations? Well, so we're hearing these kind of prophetic guys and even non-prophetic guys that are saying, you know, one of the things God wants to do is disciple nations. If you want to disciple nations, you have to get involved in these seven spheres. You have to, you have to not abdicate those. We have to basically take those back. It's like the reverse process of we did the exact opposite of what the, the critical theorists did. Um, in the Frankfurt School, they said, if you want to make this basically, if you want to take down capitalism, if you want to take down Christian, Christianity, we've got to do the long march through the institutions. So in other words, everybody with robes, we need to take over education, law, business, um, wow. even the church eventually. And that's what they've been doing. So that's why this in the LGBTQ activism movement took their cues from the same methodology. So they wow. have taken, as we've withdrawn, they've taken over. Hmm. And what, and, and so many Christians have been content to say that and be like, well, that's fine because religion is kind of what's between our ears. We can sit, we still have freedom to worship and we're content with that without realizing that that even is being crushed. But even if it wasn't, that's not what God called us to. Wow. God didn't call us to just be free to worship and basically try to helicopter into the world and, and lift a people, lift a few people out of Vietnam and rescue them to the soulish realm when they die. Right. But he actually called us to say, and this is what N.T. Wright points out, for instance, and is surprised by hope. The reason the disciples were killed 
for their message many times is because they said Jesus is Lord, which implied Caesar is not. Mm. In other words, the king of the world has come and and been vindicated, and now all nations are his inheritance. And we announce that gospel of the kingdom. So what is a kingdom, right? A kingdom or dominion is an area where, um, you know, a certain king or a ruler has say over the area where their will is done, their reign and rule. And basically when, you know, the, the Jesus prayer where he taught his disciples how to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he, he, was vindicated by the resurrection. And he said, all authority now has been given to me, go proclaim it and manifest it and disciple the nations, teaching them to obey Mm. everything that I've taught. So this idea keeps coming through about these nations. And and I still don't have all the pieces together, but as I've been studying eschatology, one of the things uh, I recently read this book by Douglas Wilson, he's a post-millennialist, which nowadays sounds like a, uh, I don't know if you say somebody's a wuzzle or like you just don't see them off or, you know, like a, a horse mixed with a duck or something like you just don't see them often. But at one time it was actually the most popular, like it was the most um, common viewpoint of the church, especially in the Puritans and among Reformation the- theologians, um, including Jonathan Edwards. He was a post-millennialist. Mm. And the view for them is much more in line with this view of the kingdom is actually spreading and increasing. in Right. And that God is actually in the process of subduing nations wow. and putting them under the feet of Jesus. Um, now, you don't have to necessarily buy into all that to agree with, with what I'm saying by and large. Right. Um, because there are other premillennialists like Michael Brown and Craig Keener who would still say, no, we have abdicated our responsibility in culture and we need to be salt and light. And we need to be involved bringing the message of the gospel. See, the message of the gospel is all of life is all is, is Christ. Abraham mm. Kuyper, I think it was, that said, there's not one inch of creation that doesn't scream um, mine to God. Wow. Um, and so the proclamation of the gospel is not merely that Jesus is Lord over your soul. It's no, Jesus is Lord of, of lords, yeah. Lord of all. Mm. And we proclaim that whether it's presidents or governors or Hollywood execs, like Jesus is ruling right now. And if they don't come under line of his rulership, they will incur the wrath. Wow. So now that brings us to the mountain prophet. Sorry for that long intro. What was that Douglas Wilson book, by the way? So yeah, the Douglas Wilson book is called Heaven Misplaced. And it's kind of a popular, just really quick layout of post-millennialism. And he gives a glossary at the end with all the terminology. He gives further resources for more in-depth. Um, but he's also got, you can look up, he's got a uh, YouTube channel called Ask Doug. And he's got this uh, his own podcast called The Plodcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really good stuff, man. I listen, you know, I, I again, I'm on the front end of studying the, the different eschatological views. Um, I haven't landed on any, and I think there's a lot of, uh, we talked about this in the jazz front, the the passing of our friend episode where, you know, basically pan-millennialism where it all pans out in the end. <laughs> but there, and there, there are things they all, dis, they all agree on and some items they disagree on. The things they agree on are the most important, I would say. But there are some really unique, interesting features to what Douglas Wilson has to say. And he also talks a lot about the cultural mandate but i do want to read this one part where he um 
he talks about the tendency in current evangelicalism to basically withdraw. I was just yeah, thinking but, about that scripture, or, or not? A, maybe it's not a scripture, but I just keep being reminded of be in the world but not of it. Mm. And I and I felt like. Um, there was always this idea that if you're in ministry, you're in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And if you're just have a normal nine to five, a business job or education job, yeah, you're kind of like, you're okay, but you're not like <laughs> really, really in the kingdom, you know, doing kingdom yeah. business. But I feel like, I, I think that's one of the ideas that kind of made us abdicate some of these mountains. It's like, yeah. you know, um, if, if, if I'm going to Africa in the missions field, then I'm doing his kingdom business. But if I'm on Wall Street, that's not so much his yeah. kingdom business. But I remember reading the scripture the other day. I think it's in Exodus where God is telling Moses, go find a skilled tradesman whom I have given my spirit on him to make art or to make the garments with beauty and with glory. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is something God is that's part of that part of the mandate mandate. you know he's just saying a skillful person yeah with my spirit yeah to make beautiful garbs yeah man to my glory and i was like wow that that's a that changed my mind a little bit about that whole idea of and and let me and no that's good babe let me add this to when some people hear mountains and seven mountains they automatically think this is what's called dominion theology and dominion theology actually has some very unique and specific parts of it that I think carry it a little bit outside of good sound biblical theology. So we're not Mm. talking about dominion theology here. If you're interested in kind of a, a premillennialist approach to also being involved with these spheres, look up Michael Brown on YouTube and type in Michael Brown, seven mountains, and he'll kind of explain the difference between seven mountains, ideology and dominion theology, and also how to be salt and light because he's, like I said, he's a premillennial, so he thinks that the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ will come after the return of Christ. But he still has a good theology for why we should be involved. And you'll notice that he, he actually is very involved with the culture wars because what he doesn't do is he doesn't commit himself to an escapist theology. Now, escapism is, is the idea that basically God calls us out of the world. And so it's sort of like we don't – a good analogy is for, you know, sometimes people will say, why would you polish the brass on a sinking ship? Mm. And so typically dispensationalist premillennialists, like the hardcore dispensational premillennialists, at least at the popular level, there are some people who would disagree with this that hold that view. But at the popular level, the way it trickles down to the man in the pew is that the world's on fire, it's going down. You know, every time something I bad happens, well, saying. this is what I expect. Just read the book of Revelation. <laughs> right. And basically the idea is withdraw, withdraw. I don't care. It's indifference to what's going on around us because it's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway. Right. So I'm not going to spend time polishing the brass. Mm. That, unfortunately, is a byproduct, of at least of popular level dispensational premillennialism. Now, Michael Brown's premillennialism isn't dispensational in that sense. Typically, it's tied to rapture theology, a certain type of rapture theology. And if you're listening, you you hold to rapture theology. We're not necessarily critiquing it here. We're just saying here's a danger to watch out for right. that as a byproduct sometimes of that system, um, you don't want to buy into that because that actually is going to commit you to unbiblical positions because the mm. biblical position was worldwide transformation, announcement that Christ is king. And we do leave it up to God. At the end of the day, if the if the premillennialist turns out to be right, 
that, you know, basically we're not going to, many of the nations aren't going to bow their knee until Christ comes back, boom, and then they bow it. Or mm. if the post millennial is right, that slowly the leaven of the, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be so strong by the end of the next two to 10,000 years or whatever it sure. is, that all nations, even though all individuals within the nations don't bow the knee, but the nations as a whole mm. um, subscribe to Jesus' policies. Right. Um, if they're right, then awesome. But either way, we are called to impact. We are called to be involved, to be salt and light, to to right. not abdicate these in in favor of this escapist idea mm. of. And I think that's a biblical position that can be theologically grounded, no matter which of these views you take. That's good. And I think um, even if you never heard a prophecy on it, it's there throughout the scripture, and it's there through church history. In fact. The reason we're sitting in a free land today of America, it, the the founders actually based many of their ideas of freedom and all these things directly on biblical principles. The, the Bible was a major document, major contributing force. There were other things like the writings of John Locke, who was also influenced by the biblical principles. Mm-hmm. But the Bible was a was very much running through and shaped their view of government. Hmm. Um, and many nations today that are, that have a positive, even with their imperfections, nations that have positive views have come many times through these views of being Christ shaped, what's called Christ shaped culture, Christ shaped government. Hmm. And, um, this is because historically the Puritans, the, the reformation, and even, uh, Catholics, Chris, like they were the official Christendom. They just, unfortunately, I think the error there in the medieval times or whatever was the idea that you can force with the sword, you can force faith. Right. Um, but even in that, they, they got a lot of things right and spread the gospel around the world. Reformation came through and I think did an even better job. Um, and we, we sit on the sho- we stand on the shoulders of that today. Mm. But the weird thing is it's just... If you if you look at a history of dispensational premillennials, it actually started in the 1800s, really got right. popularized in the 1900s in America, and now the tendency of that is to get us less and less involved. So right. where we've made all this progress over the centuries, and, and and again acknowledging, you know, the Salem witch trials and the the Spanish Inquisition, awful parts that some of the, right. some of the crusades that weren't done biblically. But even in that, there was this overall movement that was great in a lot of ways that spread out things that have been great for humanity. And you can, I think there's a book by Dinesh D'Souza called What's So Great About Christianity, where he notes these items about Hmm. how Christianity created the universities, how it created, how it brought literacy all around the world, why medicine was bolstered by Christianity. And actually modern science was birthed out of Christian Europe. Hmm. um, And there are, for for specific philosophical reasons that were directly um, carried by biblical theology. Wow. All these gifts to humanity that came out of the Bible. And now we're starting to to throw it away because we are buying into this escapist idea. And that's unfortunate where, again, I said this, 10 minutes ago, we may have to go a little longer on this podcast. This brings (laughs) us to what what the, the mountain prophet said. Right. Which was one of his main themes was we need to lean back in and stop buying into this pessimistic view Mm. 
that things are about, it's all about to end and I'm just going to hide my children in the hills of Alabama or something and, and not be involved. He said, we need to go on the offense right now right. and we he need to take, we need to march forward with the kingdom of God. He said, don't be discouraged by the culture that's yelling right now against God's ways. And mm-hmm. he said specifically in the areas of abortion and the LGBTQ activism and out, you know, we're not going to get political here, but any political candidates and parties that align themselves with these policies. He said, God has actually told him many years back that he was going to give, there was a group of people in America that were anti God. He was going to give them a spirit of delusion. Hmm. And he based that out of first Thessalonians, which re, will you read a little bit of that? Stephen, yeah. Real quick? So it's, it's second, Th- second Thessalonians chapter two and starting with verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. And here's the part you were talking about, verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but enjoyed unrighteousness. Yeah, so there's this interesting thing about God, man, where if you don't listen, you don't listen, he will almost like at that point further you in your destruction. We see that in Pharaoh. Right. We see it in many cases throughout the Old Testament. And that's, a, I mean, it's kind of a weird theological view, but it shows that God is serious right. about these things. And if, if you continue to harden your heart, then he's actually going to partner with you in hardening it further. Right. <laughs> and, um, the, so, so this, the mountain prophet said he's sending a spirit of delusion and he was giving a reprobate mind, which is out of Romans one, which mm-hmm. says the same thing when, uh, humankind fallen human beings away from God as a as, as a group inevitably degenerate more and more. And then he actually gives them over to what's called a reprobate mind. I think you look that up. We take that term for granted, but it means um, to have no moral scruples. Yeah, to have no moral scruples, like basically almost to be like an animal. Yeah, to have mm. no framework for morality, just reject yeah. it all together. And I, I, if you look on Twitter, I don't know, you know, out of our listeners, how many people, but you, when you look at the people that are pro-abortion right now, you see, they're, they're, I mean. His explanation of that, of having a spirit of delusion and a mm-hmm. reprobate mind. It's so spot on. Like, there's no other way to explain it because even mm. last night we were talking about it, baby, and you were like, you know, I'm trying to put myself yeah, in their in a, shoes like, and understand their argument for killing these unborn children. And I, and I thought it, it struck me after that conversation. I was like, you know, there's really no way to put your – like, because normally that's a good practice when you're right. when sure. you're thinking through two sides of an issue to think, man, how does this other side think about it? Let me For try sure. to put myself in their shoes so I can understand the perspective they're coming from. But I said, with this issue, the the craziness has grown so strong. The reprobation is so strong that you can't really put yourself in their mindset from an intellectual, intellectual place because it's almost animalistic, the mm. scream and the cry for, for killing, mm. the bloodlust, the bloodthirst. It's wild. It's really something. And, you know, that God is furthering that. He also connected it to, he, you know, he, he, he didn't pull punches like we're a little soft with our language. The LGBTQ, he calls it sodomizers. For sure. <laughs> so he was like, you know, he said that with the, with the sodomizers and the abortion um, proponents, he said God is giving them 
a spirit of delusion in a reprobate mind and mm. giving them over to that. And I think we're seeing that. And with that being the case, it's more and more difficult to reach them through reason. And I think we're seeing that like it's, it's to the point now where you almost can't, but mm. what it gave me was this vision of God. In, like he is really working this out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even while bringing judgment on those who, who are stiff necked in their rebellion against him. And he's doing it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And that's what that was his major predictive claim is that God, through this process, is going to bring judgment mm. on the people within this nation that are aligning themselves and giving themselves over to these ideologies. And in doing so, the judgment itself is going to bring blessing to those who are standing against it. Mm. And so we'll see, you know, we'll see how. I'm, we're gonna be, <laughs> yeah. We're going to be watching this as it as it goes out, but that right. was kind of one of his major messages for right? sure. Yeah, absolutely. And his his and his call to us was sit before the Lord, know His voice, hear His voice. Yes. And it was um, that God was giving us an, an anointing for war. That's what He kept saying. Right. God is anointing His His children for war. In mm-hmm. other words, it's not like this kind of pansy, <laughs> like, sure. you know, soft Casper milk toast Christianity. He's calling us to really stand in this culture and to proclaim the truth, whether it's the prophetic voice or the pastoral right. voice or the persuasive voice. I mean, we're still going to do our best to, to articulate and reason with people and show them why abortion is wrong, why LGBTQ lifestyle is not God's design and why it leads to destruction and the fact that God does not like it, he does not co-sign it. We're going to continue to stand for these things and to do our jobs to persuade. But we do have to understand that right now there is a battle going on. There's an ideological war and uh, the satanic strongholds are involved in it. And we we don't war with flesh and blood, but we need to understand what we are listing for and not grow weary, not grow soft, not escape, not withdraw. But we need to, through the power of the Spirit, lean in and say, come what may, we're going to stand for biblical truth in this Mm. hour. Yeah. That's good. And it goes back to what we talked about in the last episode, that the most encouragement that I received was to speak truth. And I think that war that you are even talking about is is a war of ideas, like you're saying. And it's the... And as we fight this war, it is not with flesh and blood. It's not with weapons but with truth and yeah. with words and with speaking confidently, not because we're arrogant, but because we know we are speaking the truth of Jesus Christ Yeah, based in the Bible. And, you know, I, as you were talking about the cultural mandate and bringing it all to the feet of, of Christ, I was thinking about that old hymn, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Mm. And there's the one verse that says, uh, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, basically mm. talking about the nations of this world, uh, to him, all majesty ascribe, means all these nations worship him. And again, it's and uh, crown him Lord of, of all, all. Yeah. is the final verse of that hymn. And I think that is the cultural mandate that, that you were yeah. talking about. Doesn't that about. take a, a major meaning, though, when you think about it from that perspective of Absolutely. like, because I, I don't know about you, but you grow up in church, you kind of just hear that Lord of all. Sure. Yeah, take it just right. kind of rolls by yeah. you and you don't think. Right. You're like, you know. You t- we tend to think in this tribal sense of like, he's Lord of this little corner or he's Lord of this miraculous realm, or he's Lord of this service that we have every week. But no, the the message of like the Old Testament was like, God is sending a Messiah, like a king, 
right. that's going to inherit the nations, like, and every knee will bow. Like, this is his creation. This is how right. he's winning it back. And we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Lord. No, you know, Jesus is president. Jesus is governor. And insofar as whoever right. holds those offices bows their knee to him now, that mm. that is their that is their duty then they and they better and like and it doesn't matter who it is if it's our favorite person or not we have to we we carry that um prophetic office of nathan that even to right. david who was mm-hmm. after god's own heart he walked right. in and basically said man you you are not living up that that man right. is you like right. you've done this right and we are all accountable Yes. To this guy, like really, like sure. he really is like in, in charge. And so you better, it, it's better to go ahead and, and bow the knee now. You know what else too? I was encouraged by, he reiterated the power of prayer. You know, that's yeah. another thing you could take for granted. But you, when you look at the governors who have, is it Alabama and Georgia who have yeah. stood up for righteousness concerning abortion laws? Those are miracles when you think about yeah, it. Man. Cause yeah. it seemed like that battle was over, you know, yeah. that with Hollywood and everybody protesting for pro-choice and so um just looking at that it goes to show you that god is on his throne he's ruling and reigning and it's it's not over but that we can specifically pray for specific mountains and believe that god hears us and he is for us fighting on our behalf going before us and so i was convicted by that as well you know and i think even even as i sing worship songs now i don't know if it's been like this like it's taken on a whole new meaning because i you know like that little israel song like God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, you know. Right. And like um, now when I even sing a song like that, I used to think of it like as merely in, in the respect of like, man, God is fighting for my personal sure. battles. And he's right. like, you know. Or at the very least, the darkness can't enter this church building yeah, that yeah, we're like, singing Like, like yeah. we're going to, you know, we're going to rise up and yeah. get more baptisms next month, which is awesome. And that's, right, right, that right. is part of it. But now also included in that is like God is fighting for us. I'm picturing Alabama's law. Come on. I'm picturing Georgia's law. I'm picturing, right. um, you know, nations coming under the reign of Christ and, e- and even with their economic policies, things that are going to f- be flourish, help human beings flourish. Right. And live and come out of poverty and, and literacy expanding and, and Christ centered ed- education going and, sure. and mm. more and more parents like teaching their kids classical education. Right. When I sing a song like that, that's what I'm thinking about as well. And it's like, it's all yeah. included. And I just think we, th- we, some, again, I, after that conversation yesterday, you just reinforced this idea that man, Christ is Lord over all. And you know, just a final word. We were playing Risk the other day. We, we both <laughs> say about that too. We were both we both learned how to play it, and with my son. And for a while, we were kind of going just back and forth, onesie twosie. We each had one guy in each nation, yeah. and it seemed like it was never going to end. And when we think about God being Lord of all, it is not the case where He wins one battle mm. and then the enemy wins one battle, and it's just going to go on like that forever. Yeah, man. But there is a time, and when sometimes when we start talking about stuff like this and nations, I know for myself personally, I can almost start getting a little fearful of like yeah. it seems sure. like a, a daunting task, yeah, yeah, or just an un- impossible feat yeah. to think that the little Christian church can overcome. But yeah. it's not the church that's overcoming; it's actually yeah. the Lord of all, yeah, man. who can come in, and it's not a game of risk to Him, but it's right. actually a sweeping wave yeah, yeah. of the spirit that will take all nations yeah. uh, and they will all bow before yeah. him. They'll crown him Lord of all. And so be encouraged, you know, yeah, I don't, <clears throat> yeah, I know for, again, for myself, if you ever feel like it's a fear thing, 
we're not saying these things for you to be worried. Yeah. You know, worry and anxiousness is not anything that God ever wants for us, but it is a confidence uh, in him. And it's yeah. a leaning on him. And I think maybe as if fear rises, lean more on him Amen. and lean more in That's prayer. And I think, like we said in the last episode, Amen. one thing we do not see from this mountain prophet is fear. Oh, no, <laughs> there is the, there no, is no, no hesitancy or anxiousness. Mm. It is just a confidence in God. Amen. And when you think about that yeah. with the power of the spirit, how these little group of 100 people at Pentecost or whatever it was, right. turn the world upside down. Right. Like, you know, it's, I, 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 and this is the other word he kept saying, awakening. Right. And that's what we've been feeling lately too, is awakening and reformation. Mm. And I think we're, I think we're primed for the next phase of that, where there's going to be even another wave coming through yeah. um, where God is going to reawaken his current church, raise up people that, I mean, I mean, look, when you, when you, if you were to do like a fast rewind from the present down to that original apostolic band, sure. Like, look how much the church, it really has been that leaven. Like Jesus talked about, like it starts, it's hidden, but then it grows and this massive tree grows and it bears much fruit. Like, look at that. And we're, we're about to see, I think another growth spurt and not only in individual souls, which we're going to have that too, but I think it's going to be like sweeping just, um, the, these, these mountains within nations, which in turn are going to cultivate, um, new structures that are going to make it more and more um, possible for people right. all around the world to to right. to come to know Jesus as Lord, like right. to know to know Him as Lord over creation. So, I don't know if you just want to end us with prayer here, babe, and and maybe uh, pray us out. I don't know. Lord, I just pray right now for any and all listeners that are um, experiencing any doubt or fear, Lord, I pray that your presence would saturate them right now. I pray that they would continue to seek you and can seek, continue to just study your word and gain more confidence and more faith. And Lord, I pray for those um, who are involved in any of the mountains that they would not lose ground, but they would stand their ground in your name and for your glory, Lord. And we pray for um, education. We pray for the arts. Mm-hmm. We pray for our government. We pray for family. We pray for the church. Um, the light of the world, Lord Jesus, that you've not called us to shrink back, but you've called us to be a light. Mm. And Lord, we just, we, we thank you for that reminder, for that awakening that you're doing in our hearts. We receive it. We say yes, Lord. And we thank you that you are King of Kings and you are Lord of Lords. And we are excited to be in your kingdom in this day and hour. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.